0: Similar to a well-tuned automobile, a guitar requires the same level of attention to perform at its very best. No matter how expensive your guitar may be, we will treat you and your instrument with the utmost respect. Call 920-723-1733 or visit jeffsguitar.com. Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Fort Atkinson, we love guitars. The attorneys at Jingris Thompson & Wachs have had the honor of receiving numerous awards for their work both in and outside the courtroom. But just as important as receiving accolades for being skilled attorneys, it's equally important to give back to the community in which they live and work. If you want a personal attorney that can help you in so many different areas, they've got them. They're in Eau Claire, Madison, Milwaukee, and Waukesha. They're easy to reach. GTWlawyers.com. That's GTWlawyers.com. Okay. Welcome to another podcast, sliceoffice.com brought to you by the operating engineers local 139, Madison Teamsters, Lo- local 695, Madison Firefighters local 311 and Madison Teachers Incorporated. And of course, we'll be seeing all those folks coming up on Labor Day. That's not very far away now. John Nichols from the Capital Times and the Nation joins us. John, I'm going to uh, play some clips from different governors and then you analyze uh, the effectiveness of it, okay? All right? I'll do my best, okay. I'll do my best. So this is all regarding uh, people getting COVID shots. First, we'll go with the uh, Irish Catholic tough guy from New Jersey, okay? You ready? All right. Okay, here we go. This is Phil Murphy. Here's how he reacted. Please get vaccinated if you are not vaccinated. Please
1: get vaccinated, period. These folks back there have lost their mind. You've lost your minds. You are the ultimate knuckleheads, and because of what you are saying and standing for, people are losing their life. People are losing their life,
0: and you have to know that. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Okay, now, I don't want you to comment on until I play all these, okay? Listening in. Okay, now let's go to... The Catholic governor of Louisiana using a little guilt to those against masking. I hope you do. I do. I've heard it said often Louisiana is the most pro life state in the nation. I want to believe that. It ought to mean something. All right, and then finally, Here is the, I don't know what his religion is, maybe he's Catholic, here's the governor of Florida.
1: Joe Biden has taken to himself to try to single out Florida um, over COVID. What is his big solution? What is he so upset about Florida? His solution is he wants to have the government force kindergartners to wear masks in school. He thinks that should be a decision for the government. Well, I can tell you in Florida, the parents are going to be the ones in charge of that decision. So. Uh,
0: okay, oh, here's a little more.
1: Why don't you do your job? Why don't you get this border secure? And until you do that, I don't want to hear a blip about COVID from you.
0: All right. There you go. Uh, let's analyze how, how those three men have handled this situation.
1: Well, Um, here's what I know. Uh, we have a COVID outbreak. Mm -hmm. Uh, A big one. It's very, very bad. It's very bad in some parts of the country. Um, and the interesting thing is that it's bad in Louisiana and it's bad in Florida, but the difference is in Louisiana, they're actually trying to do something about it. Whereas in Florida, it is so bad right now. Things are are so bad right now that folks are literally, you know, canceling programs, canceling initiatives. Uh, There's an open legal battle between the school districts and the state over masking and things of that nature. And Florida right now has repeatedly hit records for not just new infections, you know, just tens of thousands of new infections on a daily basis, but also for the number of hospitalizations. And here's the interesting thing, slide: Records for the number of hospitalizations of young people. This is a very different pandemic uh, or different manifestation of the pandemic. And so Florida's kind of a nightmare zone. And if you read the papers in Florida, they've gone beyond. The editorial pages have gone beyond condemning DeSantis. They're literally begging. They're pleading with him to change policy because well what's his what is that.
0: his end game here this is you know he clearly wants to be president of the united states i remember when scott walker wanted to be president of the united states and he killed a casino in kenosha <coughs> which
1: yeah, ended up true. which
0: ended up killing his political career
1: <laughs> but I yeah i don't say that but, he,
0: he did take a shot at the labor movement right he he might have done that so yeah. but what's the end game here for desantis he uh it's not like he doesn't have a serious opponent in 2022. He may be looking at 2024, but Florida is still close enough that he could very well lose. Well,
1: there's a couple of things. Let's put those both in perspective. Um, first off, let's do the Florida thing and then we'll go, go national. Uh, and why he is taking this, frankly, incredible risk uh, after at some point, not at all, but at some point being a, at least vaguely responsible governor uh, during the, the last year and a half. Uh, First off, in Florida, what he's doing is incredibly destructive um, politically. It it is doing severe harm. There's new polling out from just the last couple days that shows that um, Charlie Crist, the former governor uh, who has been a member of Congress, but he has struggled to get back into statewide politics without much success for a long time, is now ahead of DeSantis for the first time in polling. And also, uh, Nikki Freed, who is the Secretary of Agriculture, a uh, younger, kind of newcomer, but a statewide official, uh, is essentially tied with DeSantis. There's a huge movement among independents. And so, you're right, he's got problems at home that may prevent him from getting through. So why wouldn't he change course? Well, the answer is this. DeSantis desperately wants to be President of the United States. And if he isn't President of the United States, uh, he wants to be Donald Trump's running mate for Vice President. Oh! Uh-huh. Want to bluntly say that? Now that's problematic because Trump moved his residency to Florida. He can't be <laughs> governor. <laughs> and I'm not sure he knows how how dumb his strategy is. But he does. There's no question. He has want he wants to either be, you know, Trump Jr. or the next Trump. Now to do that, intriguingly enough, he has to win obviously Republican primaries. To win those Republican primaries. He's got to be crazier on this issue than Christy Noem out of South Dakota. And oh, she, now she's
0: right. got her own little super spreader going on this weekend, Sturgis. Yeah. Yes,
1: same, same as last year, right. um, where they actually charted the spread of the disease into Minnesota and other states. So the interesting thing is that Christy Noem is, frankly, a far more appealing politician than, than DeSantis. There's, there's no doubt of that. DeSantis is a you know,
0: she's much better looking. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to say it. I know it's superficial. I don't mean that to be sexist, but she's more appealing.
1: Well, let me be sexist and say Ron Santa has quite a good head of hair. He's not, <laughs> you know, a, a little bit of work, you could make him a pretty attractive fella. Oh, but no. uh, not that the effort has gone in, uh, mind you. But, um, but this is the important thing, thing about all this. Do, far and apart from how people look. Uh, the fact of the matter is that Christine Nome is good at pitching the anti-vax message, or not so much anti-vax, but the, uh, the uh, you know, kind of reject mandates, reject mass mandates, you know, kind of go full bore, don't worry about, you know, the public health stuff so much. And she's very, very good at pitching that. Um, it was an interesting thing that when they held the uh, you know, CPAC conference, the big conservative gathering, down in Florida uh, in, I think it was February of this year, fascinating situation because DeSantis had it wired. It's his home state. A lot of the people are from there. He's obviously got a much bigger platform to work from. Uh, He's close to Trump, so no. But um, he gets on. He does well, very well. There's no question he was dominating it. But no one came in from South Dakota, which is like what percent of the U.S. population, right? You know, the the, the smallest state in the country. And she rocked the place. People were on their feet, cheering and, you know, really going for it. And her whole argument was, oh, COVID hit. We didn't do anything. (laughs) You know, basically. We and we did great. Now, she was lying at every level. South Dakota. No. A nightmare. (laughs) But. The fact is, I w- I'm, not, I'm charting this thing pretty closely watching these candidates line up, and I will tell you very bluntly, there is simply no question that DeSantis mm-hmm. sees other candidates, not just Nome, but Noam as a, as a particular uh, standout, other candidates lining up in that lane of, we looked at COVID and we decided that it was more important to stay open, keep our businesses running, do all that stuff. And, um, and so he is clearly trying to make up ground because in this weird world of the 2024 Republican primary process, he was seeming a little soft. He is uh, a little too, a little bit too so sympathetic so that, trying to keep people they Are they going to
0: have a contest who can kill more school, school children? And I'm so not being flippant.
1: No, it's proportional. But, oh. Uh, you know, because uh, obviously the Sanders will win because Florida has a lot more people. Um, but the interesting thing is it's not school children, although children are more vulnerable, it looks like, to the Delta variant. It's teachers and parents and school janitors and, you know, yeah, right. clerk in the office and people like that. That's really threatened by this, and that's why school boards in Florida are literally going into the courts to try and defend mask mandates, well, because it's a real issue for you know, you know that last year just give you one final thing last year when just pushing school opening way before it should have happened there were teachers there were teachers actually taking out life insurance
0: lovely all right a uh, little closer to home here is our very own glenn Grothman.
1: here's that exchange your message to the public what what do you tell anybody out there who is is currently not vaccinated well
0: I don't have a message. I think the message on the internet, you can find all sorts of people saying different things. I would talk to people in the medical field, not only doctors, but nurses as well, and see what their opinions are.
1: What do you believe about it? With the vaccine being safe?
0: Well, um, I think there's unquestionably, particularly older people, uh, benefits to the vaccine, but I'm I am not going to play doctor to everybody in Dane County tonight. So, uh, you know, we voted for the vaccine. We put billions of dollars into it. And uh, we certainly turned it around quicker than anybody thought. Are you vaccinated, Congressman? Um, I, I don't like to get into taking sides on it. Okay. So that's. And then he just walked away. <laughs> he, walked, he walked. AJ Bioport, who, by the way, is a great reporter. From channel yeah, 27 really, really very good
1: yeah yeah yeah. he, he, he just walks sick. away from him <laughs> that was the end of the interview <laughs> help me out fly because you're you're a man of the world you know you've been out you've done a few things you got your vaccine right I, I sure did like you're kind of proud of it aren't you very i am too like i got my vaccine i was i would have taken it sooner if i could have although it now turns out you know because we're worried about how long things last maybe maybe it's good we were a little slower in the game we didn't get it as quickly as we wanted um but so here's the deal um why is it a political statement you know taking aside to say you got that <laughs> right i mean it might be you say i think if you're glenn grossman right you can say i think people can make their own decisions and stuff. i got mine right do you know who, what you know the, the radical kind of left-wing activist who says that donald trump Yes. Yes. Trump got it. He got his vaccine. He acknowledges it. In fact, I think he was elbowing, you know, like people aside at the White House to get his first. All
0: right. One more clip. Um, One more clip before we take a break. And this takes a lot of chutzpah or I can't remember how Michelle Bachman pronounced it, but
1: I believe it was chutzpah.
0: Okay, So this is Sarah Fagan, who's a Republican operative. She said this on Meet the Press without any pushback yesterday, uh, talking Uh about. President Biden in this pandemic. I mean, people are frustrated everywhere and, you know, they were told when the vaccines came out and when they got vaccinated, this would all get better. And it's not. And some of it is the unvaccinated. But, you know, we're seeing these breakthrough cases. And so I think any chief executive is experiencing frustration from uh, uh, their constituents. But at the end of the day, you know, this is Joe Biden's pandemic now, and that has become very, very clear. You know, he rode into office As cases were starting to go down after winter, they're going up. And, you know, even though his approval is holding strong, if we were sitting here a month from now, I don't think that's
1: going to be the case. You
0: know, that's a pretty remarkably galling thing to say.
1: Well, there should have been a little pushback because you do realize that that it was literally on the day that Trump left office, that Biden took office, that. I think we, wasn't that the day we passed? I hope I'm right on my numbers here. four hundred thousand dead. And I mean, we were there was a horrible, horrible spike um, in that period there. I mean, it was a it was a really that midwinter time. I mean, she's she's right. The cases did go down when Biden took office, and he started to aggressively push uh, the vaccinations and and frankly, uh, did all sorts of things that Trump had done, like mass mandates but, for public transit. But for but, her to
0: say that the breakthrough cases are this, having the same effect as people that are unvaccinated is literally no, a, a lot. Yeah. All right, we'll take a break. Right, John, we'll take a break. John Nichols from The Capital Times and The Nation. At Sly's I want to thank all the labor unions here in Dane County that help keep Sly's up and going so you keep up to date, whether it be the Madison Firefighters, Local 311, or the Madison Teamsters, Local 695, or our friends at Madison Teachers Incorporated. These are some of the most active local unions who organize, 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 and constantly stand up for workers. Thank you from SlidesOffice.com. When you're looking for a new computer or need help with one you already own, call 231-8000 and Madison Computer Works will get things up and running for you. Madison Computer Works, computers that work for you. Welcome back to SlidesOffice.com. Talking to John Nichols from the Capital Times today, brought to you by our friends at Madison Computer Works, a great place that takes great care of their employees with excellent service. If you are an idiot on computers like me, they're the place to go. Also, Jeff's Guitar Clinic. Thank you to Jeff in Fort Atkinson. All right. John Nichols from the Capitol Times, as I said, with us. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the primaries that took place in Ohio last week. This was to fill Martha Fudge's seat from the Cleveland-Akron area. This is a very gerrymandered district, the Republican legislature there. Drew, it's a, it's this is kind of like when Wisconsin Republicans put Racine and Kenosha together. Yeah, uh, it, exactly. it, It's really yeah. just a, it's a way of disenfranchising African American voters. So that aside, uh, here this is from Stephanopoulos. Not that, just
1: far left support. Sarah, Sarah brings us to the elections this week. Donald Trump had a victory in an Ohio primary race, uh, but on the on the Democratic side in that Cleveland race, one more time, the mainstream Democrat. Defeated the progressive Democrat.
0: Donald Trump weighed in on the Democratic primary, too. There was a lot of Trump Republican money in Ohio. You know, I'm from Ohio. I've been a leader in the state, an elected leader in the state. I was on the ground here. As soon as you hit Cleveland and Akron, those ads that were coming from dark money from Trump re- Republicans like Kraft and others really made the difference here. But at the end of the day, what progressives are celebrating is that we won black, white, Brown, working class people. We won Cleveland and Akron. We won the district where the opponent, Chantelle Brown lived, her own neighbors voted against her. What ended up happening was in the suburbs that are mostly wealthy and mostly white, those ads worked. And the turnout should be the story because the turnout was less than 20, Percent in an area where Ohio needs to be blue next year. If we're if we're going to con- continue to call our state purple, All Otherwise,
1: we're going to be calling it red. All interesting. Point red. All-
0: okay. Uh, well, that's nice spin, but when you lose by six points, you've lost.
1: Mm, it's true, <laughs> um, uh, and it's also look. I think it's I think it's accurate that um, a tremendous amount of money came into that district from outside with the purpose of defeating Nina Turner, um, the former Ohio State senator, statewide candidate, who was closely aligned with the labor movement, closely aligned uh, more recently with Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign. And uh, Nina Turner took uh, an incredibly hard hit in, you know, from dark money, from, you know, a lot of negative attack But there's also another reality that, that you have to put in the mix and you have to be to be honest about And that is that Cleveland politics, especially, is a very complex politics. And there are political organizations in Cleveland that have operated for generations now and that, you know, nurture up candidates that, that work very, very hard to get members of their organizations and allies of those organizations elected. And uh, Chantel Brown had deep ties in Cleveland. It wasn't like she you know, came out of nowhere and, you know, just with a blank slate and defeated, you know, Turner, she was somebody who had a lot of things benefiting her. So she was going to always, I always felt from the start of this race, that Chantel Brown was going to get a baseline vote. You know, she was going to do, you know, be well, you know, this is a multi-candidate field, but still, that Brown would be probably in the 40s. Um, the question was, well, how did she get over the top? How did she defeat Turner? Uh, and I think the answer to that is a multitude of things that happened. First off, um, Turner had some statements that she made back, you know, at a point when you were kind of transitioning out of the Sanders campaign into the, the fight, you know, and, and she said some tough stuff about Joe Biden. She had also in the past said some tough stuff about Hillary Clinton. Um, and the, what happened was in these negative ads, they weaponized that and made you know some past statements she made uh, into uh, big negatives. There are things that they they really just yeah, because owned. I
0: would imagine Joe Biden is very popular in that district.
1: That's the thing, and also notably, notably, Hillary Clinton was as well. That is a district that has you know some history of voting uh, for the kind of mainstream Democratic candidate, and so for the Turner campaign, their challenge was always. Uh, to up the volume on the fact that she had deep roots in the district, the fact that she um, was very likely to be a more effective member of Congress, which is what, that's what the uh, Cleveland Plain Dealer, which has never been particularly a big fan of Nina Turner, said when they endorsed her. Um, that's what the mayor of Cleveland said when he endorsed Nina Turner as well. Um, but they ended up in this this kind of trap where it was, the race got nationalized, and the line was, you know, this is a fight between the Congressional Black Caucus and progressives. Now, that was always a, a false premise, right, because many members of the Congressional Black Caucus are progressives who were campaigning for Nina Turner. Um, so it was a much more nuanced uh, fight there. But I do think that it was Frankly, that that this so-called nationalization of it made it difficult. There's one other thing I'll say about this race that I think is important. Uh, two little quick things I'll say. First off, Nina Turner is a remarkable political figure, uh, and somebody who had she won that nomination and gotten to Congress, she would have fought um, as hard as corey Bush and others on a host of issues. And frankly, I think she she would have been a fantastic member of Congress and a really important member of Congress. Um, The second part that I think, the second element that I'll I'll mention quickly, is that um, there's this line that, okay, well, you know, so progressives are really in a bad place, and now everybody's got to reposition toward, you know, more of a centrist stance. The funny thing is, I've heard that line before. I heard it back in 2018, after Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez won, and then... A couple of progressives lost some primaries, including Cory Bush, in uh, later in that summer of 2018. They're like, "Oh, the progressive thing is over. It was just AOC." Um, turned out that was completely wrong, uh, because in short order, uh, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and others. Won. Well, and I also
0: uh, think I think we're kind of skipping over, and they are deliberately skipping over the fact. And and I'm not really on one side or another on this. You know, I mean, to me, I'll vote for the person that I think is going to be the most effective and honorable representative. So I don't always clearly fall in one camp or the other. But I will say this, uh, you know, when when a progressive beats an incumbent mayor in a Democratic primary in New York's second largest city, which is a, you know, still got a lot of white ethnic voters, classic, you know, upper, upper Midwest city. I think that's a pretty big deal. That would have been like Tom Barrett getting beat by Mandela Barnes, right? I mean, that, that or, would...
1: some, or someone well to the left of Mandela. Barnes.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, Mandela Barnes is pretty <laughs> left. What happened if, Mandela Barnes is pretty left.
1: <laughs> he is very progressive, it, diminishing his progressive credentials. But what I'm saying is that you're talking about Buffalo and the victory of India Walton, uh, who had never held public office, who was a grassroots organizer, and who ran. As a proud democratic socialist, you know, emphasized the fact that she was a that she was a socialist, um, and she beat the incumbent mayor in the primary quite easily in Buffalo, New York. Um, that is exactly my point: is that, you know, it's funny that a lot of our national media is desperate to say, "Okay, the fight for the soul of the Democratic Party has been decided." We had a primary in Ohio. Everything is over now. It's all settled. You know, fold up the tents, go away. No, it's an ongoing struggle. And you're going to see progressives win major victories, and then you're going to see centrists win major victories. And there isn't going to be an easy resolution to this for two reasons. Number one, um, it really is a legitimate divide. There's a, there's a, there are real differences. People are gonna line up and these, and we'll see where it ends up eventually. But two, the other thing that's really important to remember about this is that um, these are different personalities in different places. Yeah. And so
0: it's yeah, well, hard to, hard to see that it's hard to see that from Manhattan sometimes, John. Uh, mm-hmm. well, it'll be interesting to see how this sort of folds into the US Senate race in Wisconsin for the Democratic nomination.
1: Mm-hmm. Will. and I think, but this is one thing to keep an eye on. That to my mind is a very interesting thing. Um, you were pointing out, you're talking about Mandela Barnes, one of the now what is it, 300 candidates for the Democratic nomination. know, um, I mean, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's a large and growing. Field. We have yet to see um,
0: Edmund Jose's son get in the race, but we'll, you know,
1: I'm hoping for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Remember when? Remember when he ran some attendant at his, you know, at his car repair place or uh-huh. whatever he owned up there, uh, whose name was Zimmerman. Uh, for Secretary of State, and so and that was the same name as the incumbent right <laughs> he is, Edwin Jose. we could do a show on, but let's, let's put him <laughs> to the side. Uh, one of the great political figures in Wisconsin politics. Um, but um, the, the, in the Senate race you were mentioning Mandela Barnes. Mandela Barnes is very progressive there's simply no question of that He is not the only progressive in the race. There are people who share many of his values and many of his ideas. Uh, and I'll give you an example of Tom Nelson, who's been, you know, sharing the same stances on things like Medicare for all, et cetera. Um, but one thing that Mandela Barnes has done that is smart, and frankly, that Tom Nelson's doing and some of these other, even Sarah Galewski issues, just talking to her, and she's similar things. They're getting out a lot to the whole state, right? And so that is a, that's a subtlety of this thing that needs to be understood. You know, yes, the stands you take on the issues matter. That's a big deal. It should be. But also, the way that you campaign, how you mount your, your candidacy. And I'll note that um, in Mandela Barnes's case, when he launched his candidacy, if you looked at his opening video for his campaign, which I thought was very well done, I mean, that thing was packed with farmers. He was, he was in barns walking, walking with farmers, and he was on loading docks in places that, I don't know where the loading dock was, but it looked like Beaver Dam or such. And, and so um, that knowledge of where you're running and that understanding that your message uh, is one thing, your stances on the issues, but also how you connect with people often makes that message work, right? It resonates better because people have met you, they've seen you, and they actually see you connecting it to who they are and what right. matters. That's, that's right. So, so I, sometimes I it has nothing
0: big, to do with a label. All right, let me, uh, let me finish off with this uh, today. How Donald Trump is not in jail has always amazed me. <laughs> he, is, he is really one of the most brazen people on earth and, and usually pretty clumsy about it as well. But somehow he seems to know where the edge is. Uh, let me play this. Uh, this is from this morning on MSNBC. What was the most shocking to you? Just how directly, personally involved the president was, the pressure he was putting
1: on Jeffrey Rosen. Uh, it was real, very real. And it was very specific. This president's not subtle when he wants something. Former president <clears throat> is not subtle when he wants something. And I think uh, it, it's a good thing for America that we had a person like Rosen in that position uh, who stood, withstood the pressure.
0: That was Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Dick Durbin on CNN yesterday, speaking about what he learned from former acting attorney general Jeffrey Rosen about Donald Trump's attempts to subvert the election. Uh, you know, I, I have to disagree with the Kennedy family when they gave former President Ford, who, who was an honorable man, uh, mm-hmm. the profile and courage for pardoning Richard Nixon. I think he did the yes, country. Agree- they were wrong. Yeah, they were wrong. I think he did the country a great disservice, and I, it is a direct threat to our democracy. And if the Justice Department isn't investigating this already, shouldn't Merrick Garland be on this?
1: Yeah. Merrick Garland is not doing what he should do in this circumstance. Well, we don't um, See, I, we don't know what they're doing. We don't know for sure, but he should publicly be saying this. This is something worthy the of, of investigation and that we're either he's doing it or that a U.S. attorney in the proper jurisdiction is, is acting. But the bottom line is that that this is a big deal. And one of the problems is that so many of the response to uh, the crisis of Trump's last month in office, his attempt to subvert the election, his attempt to hold on to power uh, illegally, illicitly, and I will note violently, um, uh, that... That so much of it's being kind of run through bureaucracy, right? I don't, I don't particularly like even this, uh, you know, the congressional panel that they've set up on January 6th. I think it should be run directly out of a congressional committee. I don't think you have to set up some, you know, side panel to do things. I, my sense is that this should be very public, very blunt, and very transparent. And as regards the recent revelation about Donald Trump's massive abuses of office and the pressure that he put on people uh, to literally uh, give him the ground you where, know, give him a, a space in which he might be able to overturn an election, um, this is something that, that needs to be investigated with an sense of immediacy. You know, Trump's biggest advantage, I think, is time. You know, if something happens and then people say, oh, well, yeah, we'll we'll investigate that. We'll look at that, and then months pass, you know, maybe even years pass. Well, then it, it becomes normalized. It's kind of like, oh, okay, well, I guess you know, big deal, but not big enough to get urgent about. Um, and so, I think we've got we have a problem as regards the steady flow of revelations about Trump and the slowness with which, uh, frankly, Democrats who are in power are responding to it.
0: Well, I hope the heat is ratcheted up, especially considering this man is still politically active and at least uh, on the surface trying to make a comeback. John Nichols from the Capital Times and The Nation, thanks for coming to Sly's office.
1: Thank you, sir. Pleasure to be with you.